0: can't we just redesign the systems that don't work the people i'm having the chance to converse with in different parts of the world are imagining new systems new collaborations they're imagining a new world welcome to design influence i'm isabel swiderski when i started 725 in 2006 we worked almost exclusively with not for profits it was, it was important to me to use my skill set in design and branding to help organizations that were helping the world. That same year, the B Corp movement was born. Three friends left their full-time jobs in business and finance to develop a framework that would allow mission-driven companies to measure and improve their positive impact over time. It wasn't perfect, but it was a start. Shortly after that, 725 became a certified B Corp, and I became more aware of this new-to-me concept of social entrepreneurship. Social entrepreneurs were trying to run profitable businesses while having a positive impact on the communities they served. I started to believe that business could be used as a force for good, that we could keep the parts of capitalism that are working and redesign the other parts as needed, I guess. What's surprising to me is that the modern concept of social entrepreneurship has existed since the 50s, and the term itself was apparently coined by Ashoka's founder, Bill Drayton, in the 1980s. So more than 30 years later, we're still trying to figure out what social entrepreneurship is, and why is it such a complicated idea to imagine making money and measuring the impact we're having while doing it? In 2017, in an article titled, Zebras Fix What Unicorns Break, the authors introduced the concept of a zebra company as the opposite of Silicon Valley's unicorns. Zebras seek sustainable shared prosperity, whilst unicorns favor hockey stick growth and lucrative exits. The four women founders of Zebras Unite argued that the way forward is in developing a business model that couples commercial success and social profit, where entrepreneurs can tackle some of the trickiest issues we're faced with, make a profit from that new or better solution, and then of course solve a real problem in the process. So zebras live in that space between for-profit and not-for-profit, between philanthropy and straight-up entrepreneurship. I caught up with Keith Ipple to try to shed some light on where we're at in the social impact space. As co-founder and CEO of Spring Activator, Keith works with accelerators and ecosystems on three continents to make the world a better place through entrepreneurship. Are zebras social enterprises and why are we talking about this now?
1: Uh, it's a good question, actually. We find that around the world, people give it different names social entrepreneurship, social enterprise, impact entrepreneurship, um, conscious capitalism is a term that's well used in the US. We need to allow for this discourse about am I impact? Am I a social entrepreneur? Am I a conscious capitalist? How do I define that? The challenge with social entrepreneurship as a term is that sometimes people will confuse it with nonprofit or charity only which of course it doesn't, it's not restricted to that, but sometimes we do find it a bit limiting um, depending on where we go in the world. And so impact is a term that we will probably use most often. And so what we're looking for is people who intentionally want to make the world a better place. Uh, They can do that through their actual product and service or in and or in how they run their business. Uh, We really look for people who are able to tie that effort against the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Um, Definitely bonus marks if they have done a B Corp assessment or have become a certified B Corp, because that's just a nice holistic way of describing it.
0: The notion of social entrepreneurship has existed for some time now. Why do you think we're seeing this momentum now?
1: So the benefit that we have in the world today is that in, in a time of extremes, Right, where we have huge economic growth in some places, um, we have whole peoples and societies left being left behind in other cases, we have this, you know, kind of return to city state and this sort of nationalist view of things, um, you know, probably being led by, you know, the US at the moment in terms of that politically. Um, you know at times like this I think we get to see a lot of clarity in terms of what people stand for and what they're trying to achieve and that actually has created I think tremendous opportunity for impact entrepreneurship and impact entrepreneurs. Um, As a part of that uh, what we have found is that in some of the countries that we've worked with that some people will term as developing countries and so I'll use some examples like um, Serbia, uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina Um, uh, El Salvador, Peru, when, when you get into these, or these countries where the entrepreneur ecosystem is really just starting to accelerate, you actually see that impact is almost baked into the ecosystem from the beginning because it's just a natural ethos. Human nature is that we want to help people and we want to help to make the world a better place. And so it's actually interesting in that I think we're starting to see some of these developing countries almost lead the way in impact entrepreneurship because it's more ingrained in the culture.
0: What got you started doing this kind of work?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm very fortunate in that, you know, I grew up in a family where uh, there was both a value for entrepreneurship and there was a value for humanity and uh, for uh, nature and for, um, for doing right by our opportunity while we're here on the planet. And so, so that, you know, that really colored my narrative, obviously growing up. And then, um, I spent 15 years in the tech sector and, uh, while I was in the tech sector, I really found it at the time challenging to be both a tech entrepreneur and to have positive impact and in particular to find my community, my tribe. And, uh, and so, After 15 years in tech, I decided to take a break and in the classic North American sense, you know, kind of give back and so support nonprofits and charities and co-ops and and so forth. And so so for me, that's when the light bulb moment hit, which is, you know, the tech sector does not have a voice and impact on one side. And on the other side, impact entrepreneurs, if they have defined themselves as such, generally did not have access to the tools, training, resources, and capital that existed you know, uh, as a benefit from the tech world. And so Spring was born to create a collision between those two worlds, to really expose all impact entrepreneurs to what is possible based on what has been developed in the tech sector, um, and as well to create a community where tech entrepreneurs could actually have a voice and impact where they could clearly articulate that they want to make the world a better place while making a profit, not sacrificing return, but very clearly saying, this is how we're gonna make the world a better place. And so so that's the genesis. We see it as a vision. We know it's gonna take time. You know, it's, it's not gonna happen overnight, but we believe that it is definitely possible. Um, we have seen in the public markets that You know, um, socially conscious and and, uh, purpose-driven businesses statistically outperform typical businesses, so we know that the return uh, component is also there. So we know it's there, we just know it's going to take time, and we know we need to do it on a global stage in order to actually change the world.
0: Many entrepreneurial ecosystems seem to favour the ideas and the early growth stages of a company sometimes at the detriment of actually running the business and creating sustained, shared value. What has been your experience in that respect?
1: What I find is that, generally speaking, entrepreneur ecosystems follow a fairly similar life cycle. And where, say, for example, Silicon Valley, let's use that as the... um, as the grandfather of startup ecosystems, the modern startup ecosystem, right? And it, and it's taken them, you know, call it 70 years to get to where they are today. And, and obviously the largest in terms of number of startups, and in terms of the amount of capital available, et cetera. Each other ecosystem that is following the, the life cycle shrinks each time. And so typically entrepreneur ecosystems are what I would call launch cities, you know, they're all about ideas, getting companies off the ground, teaching people about the culture of entrepreneurship, the opportunities that exist with it. Uh, From there, then you start to see things like building investment ecosystems, investor networks, building mentor networks, and the culture around mentoring and giving back. Um, And so from that process, then usually over time, you'll start to see the ecosystem maturing and saying, Yes, we can help people to launch businesses, but now we need to help them grow businesses. Um, And so the city of Vancouver, for example, I think is well known as being a launch city. Um, And I would say in the last four years in particular, so still very recent past, um, Vancouver's just starting to move into that. How do we help organizations scale? How do we build capability in terms of team, process, capital go to market and so we have organizations um, like bc tech that is doing growth stage work um, ace tech which is a roundtable program for growth stage um, entrepreneurs uh, you see funding programs designed for more growth stage and that includes spring you know my company um, you're starting to see these pieces come together to support that activity Um, So that's probably where Vancouver is at and I think each ecosystem should acknowledge where they're at today and then how they can move through the life cycle ideally as efficiently as possible kind of speed up that process every time, right?
0: How do you think we can design better frameworks to bring civil society, governments, corporations and social enterprises together and figure out a way to be more collaborative to create more opportunities and attract more funding?
1: Yeah, you know, historically what we find is that the genesis of each one of these, um, let's call it ecosystem collaboration elements is, is the lead from the entrepreneurs. So entrepreneurs really need to show um, the rest of the, the, the core ecosystem players what is possible um, and also, especially with government, because government is designed to serve all of the society. And it is, as a part of that, not designed to take risk um, in the ways that, say, a startup venture would. Um, by creating the startup community early and, and creating, you know, sort of these milestones and these benchmarks for growth and early success, it, it starts to give the government confidence. On a few fronts one is that the ventures will survive the second one is it will create jobs the third one is that it can impact a much broader section of society than maybe you might see early on so that's really a critical component um you know when you then bring in capital capital really becomes the second pillar so this is angel investing venture capital uh, financial institutions including banks Um, really then get attracted. And that really then uh, allows this sort of cementing in of the value proposition and of the um, uh, citizen level uh, value and importance of the entrepreneur ecosystem. And that that really then gives the government an opportunity to step in and and find ways to engage. And what we find is that when governments come in with a multi-year strategy, where that multi-year strategy allows them to come in early in smaller ways, learn from that, adapt um, and, and, and sort of, you know, over a period of a few years really start to find what role is appropriate for them um, and is supportive of the ecosystem, that's a powerful way to do it. Um, and we've seen very good ways uh, of doing that. The 844 program in Vietnam, for example, would be an excellent example. Startup Peru would be an excellent example of uh, systems that Um, and and government intervention, for lack of a better term, that actually comes in in a highly collaborative way um, to impact the ecosystem.
0: So what does success look like for you?
1: I think for us, um, you know, we want to have, as I said, a profound impact on the planet by the work that we do. I think success for us looks like a few things. Uh, One is, is that... We um, do work in a few more countries based on the experiences that we've had to date. The second one is is that we're able to strengthen the ecosystems um, and through the ecosystems, the entrepreneurs in the countries that we're in um, today. Um, and then the third one is, is that we're actually able to help entrepreneurs raise capital. Um, and the reason for that is because raising capital in a business is probably one of the strongest validation points of the business model of the purpose of the audience and of the outcomes of that company. And so if we can show that angel investors and venture capital firms and banks, um, other funding organizations are willing to invest in these businesses, it's a validation of strong businesses with solving real problems, with great solutions that can be profitable that are impact. And so really for us, I think the big goal is to support entrepreneurs on a global basis to raise money well when it's appropriate for them. Um, and so the work that we do in our funding workshops and our funding roundtables is really geared for that. And I think it's an important year to do it um, in the in the global ecosystem right now and also in specific ecosystems like places, uh, Peru, Vietnam, um you know, the Balkans, um, smaller communities in uh, North America, you know, let's call them flyover communities or frontier communities. If we can start to show that, then I think, you know, we'll we'll definitely call this next 12 months a success.
0: How can social entrepreneurship move forward? How can it fulfill this crazy promise of improving the world Mm -hmm. and making a profit? Impact
1: entrepreneurship is going to fulfill its promise if it does a few things. Um, And then we as players within this community, I think we need to step up and take responsibility for our roles within. First, impact entrepreneurship needs to be mainstream. So we need to not just talk to ourselves, we need to invite the impact curious in. The second thing that we need to do is we need to absolutely ignore all boundaries and geographies. So we need to be willing to support each other, whether we are in Vancouver or San Francisco or Lima or Hanoi or Belgrade or anywhere in between, Um, support each other as peers, support each other as mentors, share introductions, connections, expertise and skill. We have to increase the probability of success for impact ventures so that we actually gain an entire library of case study examples of successful growing profitable businesses that are having a positive impact on the world that's how it's got to happen and so what we need to do is we need to create these regional networks that are very tightly connected globally that will achieve that support Um, We use traditional terms like mentor network, investor network, you know, entrepreneur communities, incubation, acceleration, like these are all components within that. But at the end of the day, just being fearless about going global um, and being fearless about talking about impact as a mainstream reality, where hopefully 10 years from now, we're not even using the term impact, right? We're just all doing what we're hardwired to do as human beings, which is help each other.
0: Keith Ippel is the founder of Spring Activator, based in Vancouver, Canada. He works globally with ecosystems and collaborators to change the world through entrepreneurship. I'm Isabel Swiderski, and this is Design Influence.